Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Welcome to Hard Currency, the weekly podcast of the Financial Times on the foreign exchange market. I'm Roger Blitz, and it's been a quiet week for data, but a pretty noisy one for central banks. The Bank of England is having a strong difference of opinion on whether to raise rates, while the independence of the South Africa Reserve Bank is under pressure from the idea of changing its mandate. All this against the backdrop of central banks like the Bank of Canada and Norges Bank starting to take the foot off the easy policy pedal. So, are we in for a period of policy-making upheaval? Our guest this week is Peter Dixon, Chief Economist of Commerce Bank. Uh, Peter, welcome. The highlight of the Forex week was Andy Haldane, Chief Economist of the Bank of England, the most dovish of the bank's policymakers, becoming a hawk. Did that have you spluttering into your mid-morning coffee when you heard that? Yeah, thanks, Roger. I have to confess that I was rather surprised at uh, Mr Haldane's <laughs> You were comments. not the only one. Yeah. I mean, I mean for, for a number of reasons. I mean, obviously, the governor had come out the day before and said the time does not appear to be right to, to raise rates Indeed. now. And of course, Andy Haldane has been pretty dovish over the course of the past, well, three years, mm. I think, his tenure, doing his tenure on the MPC. And for him to come out and say there's a case for a rate hike certainly surprised me. And I think what was even more surprising was the, the fact that he gave a relatively short time horizon for that rate hike, possibly in the second half of the year. You know, obviously, Indeed. we're almost there. And this after the dissent last week of the Monetary Policy Committee. So it was 5-3. It's kind of 5 versus 3.5. Do you think Haldane was, was saying to Carney pointedly, you're wrong. I mean, obviously, they knew that... Actually, Carney's speech was a delayed speech from, from what was meant to be the previous week's Mansion House speech. But kind of the, the Haldane speech was in the diary. So was that a, a pointed message? Well, you, you could certainly read it that way. I mean, it's it would be unusual for the Bank of England uh, internal members to disagree quite so strongly mm. in public and, and certainly you know so close uh, together in terms of time. But I think we have to read it as a message to say, look, there, are, there appears to be growing dissent not just within the Bank of England, I think, but also across the whole of the, yeah. the monetary policy spectrum, uh, policymaker spectrum rather, which suggests that you know maybe it's time to start thinking uh, about raising rates, having held them at such low levels for such a long time. I mean, you're, you're talking there about the Bank of Canada uh, making making it very clear that they were they were shifting, and Norges Bank was saying uh, on Thursday that they are moving. So, fair to say the tide has, has turned. It does feel like that, yes. I mean, obviously, in the UK, things are slightly different because of Brexit. But I, I think on a on a global perspective, mm. you know, what are we now? Nearly nine years on from the Lehman's collapse. We're starting to work through. In fact, I think we've probably pretty much worked through the worst of the, the implications of the collapse in terms of what it's done to the financial system. Uh, and I think central bankers generally are following the Fed and saying, look, 
you know, with the Fed even thinking about potentially reducing the size of its balance sheet over yes. the course of the next few months, maybe it's time for the rest of us to start doing some work as well. Well, the markets are looking slightly two ways on that. I mean, on the one hand, they're pushing up um, the Canadian dollar, uh, Norwegian krona in response to this. On the other hand, they, they're not committed to the idea of the Fed continuing to raise rates and, in fact, being quite sanguine about the level of inflation. So is the, is the markets facing two ways? Well, I think the markets have, have long thought that the Fed is being a little bit too aggressive with mm. regards to you know another one or two rate hikes this year and then three next year. I mean, I'm not saying it's, it's wrong, yeah. but certainly the markets think that it could be a little bit on the aggressive side. And I think for that reason, if other central banks start to make more hawkish noises, there's every potential for their currencies to appreciate vis-a-vis the dollar because, quite simply, I, th- I think the, the balance of probabilities is that the Fed will, will under-deliver rather than over-deliver. Yes. I mean, all, all this kind of goes to the whole deep dive scrutiny of inflation. Who was the central bank who, who criticised others for being inflation nutters? It was the, I think it was Australian, George, wasn't it? Yeah. George was the phrase. I, I mean, it got a point really, isn't it? I mean, in a sense, are, are we, are what Janet Yellen effectively was saying the other week was, was are we obsessing a little too much about the, the minutiae of inflation? What's your view? Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there are a number of, of issues here. I mean, on the one hand, you know, central banks over the course of, I guess, the past couple of years have looked at inflation and said, oh, there are a number of special factors which have you know, mm. precluded us from, from acting. There comes a point where you say, look, let's forget the special factors. I think there's a trend mm. emerging here. But on the other hand, I think, I think you have to say that although the, a lot of central banks have a mandate, most central banks have a mandate to, to focus purely on inflation, uh, I think they're, they're well aware of the fact that policy has to be focused with much more than just inflation in mind. And, and as a consequence, with, with growth picking up, with inflation not really sort of gathering pace, but certainly on, on an upward curve, I mean, I think there was a sense that for many central banks, at least, they are a little bit behind the curve. The Fed was for a very long time. It's beginning to, to catch up. I mean, some of the other central banks in, well, certainly the, the, the Norges Bank, perhaps, and the Bank of Canada are beginning to beginning to get it. Yes. But I think the ECB is, is way behind the curve on that one. Yes. It's, it's hard to extrapolate the the row in the South African Reserve Bank with others. There are obviously so many particular political issues there. On the other hand, they are talking about broadly. I mean, the criticism there was you, you're just too much focused on one thing and you need to look more broadly at the wider impact of the economy on, on all sorts of social groups. That's too far to go for other central banks, isn't it? They're still going to focus on... Oh, for sure. I mean, I think the, the, the general rule is that you need as many objectives as you, uh, sorry, instruments as you have objectives. Yes. If your only instrument is the interest rate, then, you know, you have to target it on one thing or maybe two uh, in, in the worst case of growth and, and inflation. Yeah. You can't start to worry about things like redistribution. I mean, after all, the, uh, the, the Bank of England governor, Carney, has said yeah. many times that redistribution and, and other issues of that nature are uh, in the realm of fiscal policy. So central bankers should really stick to what they're good at. Yes. And I certainly think that the, the debate that we're having with regard to South Africa rather detracts from the fact that this is a, you know, a, a world-renowned institution which has done a pretty good job, I think, under fairly trying, trying circumstances. Yes. Given the, the political winds in South Africa, which seem to be you know, deviating ever further f- away from, uh, I think, the rainbow nation that was promised, mm. I, I think a lot of people in the markets are looking at the, looking at this situation there and saying, well, you know, let's, be, let's be careful because you know, if, the, the, if the, the Reserve Bank is forced down a, a path which, which it doesn't want to go down, I think that will reflect very, very badly on, on the RAND and, and other South yes. African assets as well. The, 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 the 
putting South Africa slightly to one side, therefore, we, we have this continuing debate uh, in markets, at least, about the faith they should have in either central banks or politicians. And the inclination is to stick with the central banks for as long as possible until there's greater confidence in, uh, I mean, take, for example, the Eurozone, I suppose, which has been through all sorts of uh, upheavals, and it's only now we're starting to see some some growth returning. So there perhaps might be understandable market concern that if, if the policymakers are with, withdrawing from the field, they're at least doing so very slowly. Yes, I mean, I think that central banks, in many respects, have done a heroic job because they stepped into the breach when... Many policymakers, yeah. many politicians at least, were absent. Yes. I mean, in, in Europe in particular, in the Eurozone and in the UK, governments focused very much on fiscal austerity, which obviously did the economy no favours. Uh, but as a consequence, central bankers had to compensate by keeping the, the foot to the floor in terms of monetary policy. There is a sense, perhaps, that this austerity mantra is beginning to wear a little bit thin. Mm. As a consequence, I think central bankers perhaps feel that they can you know, maybe withdraw a little bit of that stimulus in order to, uh, to allow a sort of normalisation of the policy stance, if you will. You, you brought us very neatly back to the UK with that last remark, Peter. The, you look at sterling stumbling around, trying to work out where it's going to go amidst political uncertainty, uh, Brexit uncertainty, government uncertainty. How does this uh, debate, is this lively debate in, in the Bank of England play, do you think, with, uh, with, with, with currency operators? I mean, does this simply add to their level of concern? In, in a sense, you know, you might think it would because obviously it's, it's an uncertainty factor. But actually the good news is that from a political risk perspective, all the, all the risks are tilted to the downside. I mean, if Brexit talks go wrong, sterling, mm. sterling tanks. Mm. Um, but what, what we're talking about in the UK is uh, an asymmetric bias towards tightening yes. with, with respect to monetary policy, which, which in, a, in a sense should support the pound. So, I mean, I don't believe that the two will, will exactly offset each other. But I think the, the monetary policy issues will certainly act as a dampener for sterling if the uh, the Brexit negotiations turn out to, uh, to be rather more problematic than many in government think they will be. But at least we appear to be beyond the sharp shifts in the currency uh, that we once had. I mean, it's actually quite remarkable that since the election, actually sterling really hasn't done that much. Very true. I think you have to look at this in, in the longer term context. I mean, obviously, there was a very sharp downward shift mm. 12 months ago. Mm. That was a reflection, I think, of the, the Brexit post-referendum, if you like, uncertainty premium. We've had a couple of wobbles in the interim when government policy seems to be going in a slightly more hard Brexit direction. Mm. But, but I, I guess the, the point is that since the, refer- since the election, rather, there was a sense that the UK is not quite as wedded to this idea of a hard Brexit as it once was. Uh, and I think that is one of the factors which is helping to to support Sterling because, you know, I have a have a horrible feeling that um, if we were heading towards the uh, the cliff with regard to hard Brexit, Sterling would be a lot lower than it currently Indeed. is. Give us an idea how we should look at the the next data, which is going to be clearly you know more uh, of more interest than usual for the for people watching the BOE. Yeah, I mean, I think first up we have some some data next week on GDP. Now, you may say, well, who cares? It's a revised number. There was a, an outside chance that that number could be revised back up to show a, a 0.3% Q on Q growth rate. Remember, it was revised down in the mm. in the second revision. I mean, if that is the case, then you can imagine that the markets are going to say, well, actually, the economy is not quite as soft as we thought. Mm. So that's something to look out for. It's not going to be a big market mover, but it's there. But as we go you know, further ahead... 
The things which markets are going to be looking for are inflation, heading above 3% sooner rather than later, wages, the extent to which wages are going to trail the, uh, the, the CPI numbers, because obviously falling real wages are not good for, for the economy. And I guess also the other, the other thing is, is things like retail sales, mm. which have been you know, fairly erratic, but I think the trend is clearly towards a, a very soft retail sector. And I think soft retail sales will be one of the factors which uh, persuades the, uh, the Bank of England to, uh, to, to hold fire with regard to monetary tightening, or indeed if uh, sales go the opposite way, then maybe it could be a factor triggering a hike. And what about the price of oil? I mean, is that going to play a role? Clearly it will. You know, I, I think it's interesting that it's really only over the, over the course of the past sort of week or 10 days that markets have started to really focus on the fact that we have a huge supply glut, mm. uh, which is not going to go away over the second half mm. of the year. So oil prices will remain depressed. You know, we'll be very lucky, I think, to, to get them back above $50 on any sustainable basis anytime soon. And obviously that will start to feed through to uh, the inflation figures, both in the UK and, of course, uh, elsewhere. And I, and I guess for, for those central banks who are banking on uh, higher inflation to drive through rate hikes, uh, the oil price could be an additional obstacle for yes. them. I mean, oil is just one of a number of structural shifts that could influence inflation. You look at demographics, you look at technological change. All of these things are just big pictures which you'd, you'd like the benefit of hindsight as, say, 20 or 30 years rather than the 20 or 30 days to, to work out where, where this goes for inflation. Does it, does it make, I mean, you're an economist, you must look at this all the time, Peter. I mean, how on earth do you judge good quality inflation data against the not so good? What's good quality inflation data? Well, you know, I think it's, for, for me at least, I, I tend to look at wages relative to, to prices. That's the big for, for me at least, I'd like to see real wages growing in line with, with productivity. Now, obviously productivity is fairly depressed, mm. but I think it's interesting that in many countries, real wages have actually undershot even the, the miserable productivity. Now, what that tells me either is that wage growth is too low or price inflation, funnily enough, is too high, which might seem strange given what we've been through over the course of the past, you know, past few, uh, few months. But I think what's interesting, talking about the longer term trends with regards to inflation, we need to look no further than Japan. This is an economy mm. which has a, a rapidly contracting demographic profile. Uh, and of course, despite all the best efforts of the BOJ to stimulate inflation, it hasn't worked. Yes. Uh, and I think the demographics are a key feature which are helping to, to, to keep inflation low. If that's something which continues to uh, make its presence felt across Europe, if indeed, as you said, the technological issues begin to put even more downward pressure on, on prices as a result of competitiveness uh, issues, then you know, it could be that the long-term outlook for, for inflation uh, across large parts of the industrialised world is for a, a very modest uh, rate of growth indeed. So finally, Peter, does that mean that not only are we heading for a realignment in central bank policymaking, but a realignment in central bank views on inflation, how to measure it, how to view it over the medium to long term? Well, I, th I think ultimately that is where we're going. I mean, central banks have spent an awful lot of time trying to figure out what's driving inflation. They have some idea, but they're not 100% convinced. But I think what's interesting is that they, they have to rely on statistical agencies to do the job for them. Mm. The statistics agencies generally are running very hard to try and catch up with the trends, to try and figure out what it is, or how to measure yes. uh, the, the changing shifts in, in the economy. And I think in markets, there's a tendency perhaps to look back and say, well, you know, we've got these old long, long-standing relationships which tend to hold. Uh, I think what's interesting now is that you know, we're clearly finding out that they, they don't. 
and uh, we're going to have to uh, so keep an eye on these trends because they're not going to happen overnight. But uh, over the, over the longer term horizon, you know, I, I think we will uh, think very differently about the factors driving inflation in five or ten years com- compared to what we uh, what we did ten years ago. Thank you very much, Peter Dixon of Commerce Bank. Join us again next week for Hard Currency, a week that includes inflation numbers out of Germany, France, and indeed the Eurozone, as well as the US, to digest. Until then, from Hard Currency, it's goodbye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellincat.com.